and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Grease 2. The Deuce, the sequel that a lot of people, I guess, were asking for. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined, as always, by my friend, compatriot, sometimes foe, in our constant uh, journey down the path of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Uh, we have a a third T-bird, or I guess a pink lady with us here today, but we'll we'll get to that just momentarily uh, for the purposes of right now. Julio, how are you doing today? Are you ready to go back to Rydell High? I know our first visit there was very um, revealing and uh, kind of change of fortunes for you. So are you ready to go back? Uh, yes, I, I am because it's almost a complete overhaul. It's Rydell almost in name only, which can only make it better. Uh, brand new, uh, brand new class. What is this? A class of eighty-two? I don't know. Is it established if they're seniors, upperclassmen? I don't know. We'll we'll get to all that. They uh, graduate the, at the end. They have like oh their, yeah, their freeze frames. They yeah, they got their gowns and caps on, and Shooter McGavin has a cigarette tucked behind his ear. <laughs> Always a rebel. All right, Julio. So as I mentioned. Uh, Quickly, before we get to our guest today, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, thank you so much for doing so. With a movie of this level of, I guess, cult following, maybe we would attract some new listeners. So if you're here for the first time, welcome. Feel free to go back and listen to our first Grease episode. Uh, but here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times accompanied with that beautiful IP, Certified Fresh. And what we will do is cut that movie down to size, talk about uh, maybe some of the aspects that were swept under the rug or, you know, underplayed by critics, be it bad acting, uh, questionable direction, storytelling choices, bad score, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten, and as you'd guess, make a case for that film's positive merit. Uh under-celebrated acting, good score, in this case, good original music, uh, direction, cinematography, what have you. Choreography. Uh, choreography. All in an attempt to say that, number one, those Rotten Tomatoes scores don't always tell the whole story. Uh, so you need people like myself and Julio to tell you what you're getting in for. And number two, shit's subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as cynical and negative about something as you really, if you really want to set your mind to it. Uh, being that Grease 2... Is 35% on Rotten Tomatoes here in the first portion, Contrarian's Corner. We will be building this sucker up like it is the Godfather Part 2. Like it is Grease uh, 1? 
Exactly. Now, Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing today, the movie du jour, they just have to hang around for the second part. That is correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you how we really feel. This time, it's going to be even more loaded than usual. Uh, first time watching this movie, uh, I don't know, Alex, you said you've seen it, what, once before? No, this is my first time. Oh, it is your first mm-hmm. time. Whoa. Okay. And then yeah. with us, we have a guest that just revealed that she has a steel book of the movie, which makes me think that she's seen it way more than once. Uh, so it'll be a three-way conversation between someone that clearly loves it and two people that uh, have watched it for the first time and may have mixed feelings about it. I don't know. I haven't. Alex hasn't said anything to me about it, but knowing him and knowing how much he loves Greece, uh, this movie might have come across as a sacrilege i don't know maybe he'll he'll <laughs> surprise us we'll we'll find out once we get to real talk but before we do that we're gonna go into contrarian's corner and before we go to contrarian's corner we have to introduce our guest yes i imagine half of the people listening right now at least half of them are listening to us for the first time they just came over following m from verbal diorama and they're gonna be shocked that this podcast is very different from what she does <laughs> m how are you doing Hi, Julio. Hi, Alex. Um, Hello. First of all, I'm I'm so delighted to be here. I can't tell you. This is something, I know we've been talking about this for a while, and it's mm-hmm. just been something that we've been just kind of trying to like work out logistics of and, you know, have, have time to do this. I'm so excited, first of all, to be on The Contrarians because I am a huge fan of your podcast. So I'm like fangirling a little bit right now. Um, but also... <laughs> The, the fact that I'm getting to talk on The Contrarians about Greece too. Like, genuinely, I'm so excited. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am excited too. I am from Boeing. I, I'm going to say, I, I think that there's two stages of verbal diorama in podcasting history. Before and after you guessed it on, I want to say it's movie reviews in 20 Qs. Because, I mean, I listened to the show from before then, and I was like, wow, she's very knowledgeable about movies, and she's very, you know, it, it was like attending like a cool film lesson whenever I listen to your your episodes, because, you know, you, you throw a lot of like facts, information, and, you know, along with your opinions and everything. And then you guessed on Sam's show, I want to say it was Sam's show, and I don't remember which movie it was, and you were such a potty mouth, and I didn't realize, <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, like on top of everything... <laughs> M is like, she has like an R-rated side to it. And so even back then, I was like, okay, so maybe we could bring her over to the show. And, you know, it wouldn't be like really out of place with us dropping like F-bombs and penis jokes. And then, you know, you being there all like shocked. And I mean, do you think I'm like a really proper lady or something? Like, <laughs> Well, I've seen both sides now. I've heard both yeah, sides. Yeah, I, 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 I. I have this very, uh, very secretive side to me that's slowly kind of coming out. No, I tell you what it is. First of all, um, thank you for all of the very nice things that you've said about my podcast, by the way. Um, it's, it's really difficult to do a solo hosted podcast. Just, just kind of put that out there. It is really difficult mm-hmm. to do, but it's even more difficult to emote on a solo hosted podcast because you've got no one to, bounce conversation off you've got no one to kind of emote with I guess and I'm a very kind I'm an emotive person like I'm very expressive and so that's why I love coming onto other podcasts and I love guesting so much because it does show that other side to me that is you know everyone's got multiple sides everyone's multifaceted you know when it comes to personalities and the personality that's on verbal diorama is very much me because I'm a huge nerd 
and I love finding out about movie history. So I have that kind of persona where I'm just this massive nerd on my own podcast. But then I come on other podcasts like this one. I can be, hopefully, fingers crossed, really funny. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, maybe a little bit foul-mouthed if, uh, if the occasion calls for it. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I am quite vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. We know, all are. It's like yeah. though, isn't it? Let's be honest. No one wants yeah. to be more straight-laced and boring. You've got to be a cool writer. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk more about your show once we get to Real Talk. Cool. For the time being, search for Verbal Diorama on your podcatchers. It is a very informative show, a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, we need to get to Rydal High. We need to get to Greece too. Do we? Do we have to? Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, real quick, uh, so we know M has the Steelbook Blu-ray, which as a physical media czar, I very much appreciate that. Uh, for myself, I assume, Hulu, we both watched this on Paramount Plus. Is that accurate? Uh, yes. Yes, yes, it is. It was, uh, it was a relief that they had it there. Is it, is it a restoration? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a restoration. Okay. Cause like, cause it looked great. You, know, you just like, <laughs> yeah, it was, when you hover over a movie on Paramount plus, it just defaults to the trailer and the trailer they had for it looked like it had been like film that was dragged through the mud. So I was like, <laughs> uh Oh, but then when the movie started, yeah, it was a full restoration. So I was pleased with that. Yeah, I think it, this movie has slowly uh, gained enough prestige. I didn't even know there was a steelbook out, so that should tell you something. Uh, that there's one. It out. has, and as we'll get to in real talk, it has its following. It has its core. Um, as with any movie, I think that's become uh, Maxwell Caulfield's mo is <laughs> in, when he's the leading man or the hunk in the movie, a la Empire Records. A cult following is not far behind. So, Julio. What do, what do we need to get to before we just start the first day of school? All right. Well, we gotta we gotta check Rotten Tomatoes. We gotta pull some quotes from there. And I have four quotes, four rotten quotes. For fresh quotes, check out Real Talk. We'll we'll bring out some contrarians with us there. Uh, but here, I'm gonna start with Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed, who says, "As a sequel to Grease, it's terrible, and as a musical on its own merits, it's absolutely abysmal." <laughs> That's really harsh. I think that we've had Felix Vasquez Jr. before, and I think this is the the most negative I've ever heard, seen him be about any movie. Is he just a big Grease fan? Is that what's what's going on? He doesn't like the the idea of, I, I guess, almost coer- coercing a woman into sex based on patriotism. Is, that, <laughs> is he against that? But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yes, because fortunately, unlike the first one, women the women are smarter in this than the men are. <laughs> uh, Next, the be-all and all of movie criticism. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times says, This movie just recycles Grease without the stars, without the energy, without the freshness, and without the Grease. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take issue with the fact that there were a lot of quotes that mentioned this, that this, saying that this movie just recycles Grease. Because I think it's the same high school, but the story is completely different. Uh, they gender-swapped which alone makes it like a completely uh, new experience. It's a lot more based in school too, which is not what the first Grease was. You know what I mean? There's a lot more in-classroom shit going on. Yes. Yeah. I was going to ask him though, because, you know, obviously as a woman, you experience the Grease franchise differently, I guess. You know, you... Yeah. Without just fully going to real talk, yet, uh, into Contrarian's Corner or real talk yet, like, wouldn't you say that Michelle Pfeiffer is... It sends you a different message as a woman in this movie than Sandy did? Absolutely, 100%. 
Uh, Stephanie Zanoni is overall just a much better, um, multifaceted, interesting character. And as a woman, I relate to her a hell of a lot more than I related to Sandy ever. And then as guys, I think we all uh, relate to Rex Manning a lot more in this one than John Travolta because he's <laughs> he's a relatable guy. He's just down to earth. Uh Next, TV Guide staff from TV Guide says, Several performers from the original Grease return for the sequel, but not important ones. Most conspicuously absent is John Travolta, replaced here by Maxwell Caulfield, who can't live the original Greaser's calm. He's not supposed to. He's supposed to be a completely different character. He's not supposed to be the new Travolta. Uh, the new Travolta is uh, uh, Johnny. Johnny Nogarelli. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that guy lives yeah. like five calms at once. He's uh, Adrian Zemed. Adrian Zemed. Adrian yeah, Zemed. I, I love him. We'll talk about him a lot in Guterrans Corner. Um, and finally, Peter Stack from the San Francisco Examiner says, a rather awful sequel to the mostly awful original. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, why did he even go see it? If you think that Grease 2, that the original Grease is awful, why even bother with Grease 2? What was he expecting? Because Greece was a cultural happening. It's the same reason, Julio, you and I are going to go see Avatar 2. It's because we kind of have to. That's true. Uh, so that's it, probably what his mindset was. Social media would I don't know. bully us into doing it. <laughs> or, But the rate it's going right now, Jim Cameron's going to come to our house and punch us and say, <laughs> go see it. <laughs> yes. He's going to call you a, a, a coward if you don't do it. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, those were quotes. Like I said, fresh quotes incoming. There are people who did like this movie, not just M. Uh, and but those <laughs> will will be in real talk. Now uh, let's let's go into Contreras Corner, Alex. Spending my vacation in the summer sun, getting lots of action, having lots of fun, storing like a bandit till the bubble burst. Suddenly it got to be September first. Whoa, it's me. All right. Uh, I'm just fair warning. Ma Maxwell Caulfield, that name is now being dropped from henceforward. He's Rex Manning. Manning. Yeah. That's Manning. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> uh, all right. So it's back to Rydell two years after the events of the previous film. So this is 1961. It is the first day of school. Some of the first characters we see are the principal and her secretary reprising their roles from the first one. Um, we get a big back to school number. Uh, Something I can relate to in the sense of just these kids dreading going back to school about how their parole's up, that type of thing. And, uh, some funny lyrics in there. And we're already an improvement from the original in the mm -hmm. sense of the the original took 10 minutes of my life with like a crude animation <laughs> and the titular track. Here, we're just boom, right to it. We get... Um, our choreography, our dance number, we immediately establish who the T-Birds are, who the Pinks are, and then Rex Manning shows up here. His name in the movie, is it Michael? Is that... Uh, Michael Carrington? Michael? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He comes in, he's a, an exchange student, and, you know, movies used to be better, man, because we don't have to see, like, a long backstory. Frenchie, for some reason, just shows up. It's like, <laughs> you're Sandy's cousin. It, and so we're done. We're established. We know where we are, and it's fucking three minutes into the movie. Uh, well, she also the, the explains. She also explains that she like why she's there, kind of in a in a very. You're right. Like you know, they trust the audience to just connect the dots very quickly. Because she's like, she gives you a recap of her character in Greece, which is like, I I dropped out to go to beauty school, then I I messed up with Pink, 
and that. And now I'm here either studying chemistry or teaching chemistry. I couldn't tell. Em, you're the yeah. expert here. S- yeah, stu- she's studying chemistry because she wants to go into, um, is it something like perfumery or something like yes. that? She's she's branching branching out into her, into the different facets of beauty. I, I appreciated that they, they realized that the one loose end from the first Greece that we're all wondering about was uh, Frenchie's fate. Because everybody kind of seems like we know that they're going to be okay in the first Greece. But Frenchie, she has her big number, you know, about being a high school dropout. And then we Beauty never get... Beauty school dropout. You daft asshole. Come on. It's a bad movie. Who cares? The point is, she has a big fantasy number. And then uh, and then we're like, well, is she going to be okay? Because, you know, Travolta and Olivia Newton-John drove off into the sunset. We don't see her. Well, exactly. They all paired off, didn't they? Because, like, Rizzo and Kaniki paired off and the other one and the other one paired off and Danny and Sandy paired off and they flew off into the sky and... But it's like, yeah, what happened to Frenchie? All we care about is Frenchie. Let's be honest. And you're right, Em, I know you like animation, but even an animation lover, like you have to see this as an improvement over John Travolta <laughs> coming his hair. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that the opening to this movie is fantastic. First of all, because like you say, it's a three, four minute choreographed song and dance number with hundreds of dancers. The director, Patricia Burt, she was also the choreographer of the movie as well. So she was doing a dual role here, which to me makes it even more impressive that she's choreographing this actually really quite good song and dance number and she's directing at the same time. So I think we need to give props to Patricia Birch for doing something that's quite incredible and I don't think she gets the credit she deserves for this movie. This is the only movie she ever directed. She did choreograph Greece as well. So there's that oh. other lots of things. So even to Greece, behind the scenes we uh, had a bridge movie. to uh from Greece one to Greece yes. two. Oh yeah we have several. Yeah yeah uh, yeah. Um but I, I love this opening because like you just said it sets up everyone perfectly. You get the T birds coming in, you get the pink ladies coming in, you know who everyone is supposed to be instantly. And then you get Frenchie as like the Basil exposition <laughs> of, of the situation, just like telling you everything you need to know. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's cliche that Michael is happens to be Sandy's English cousin, but look, everyone's got an English cousin. Literally everyone <laughs> has an English cousin. Well, English or You're always going to find someone. <laughs> El Peruvian. You're always going to find some random cousin in your family tree and be like, oh, yeah. That's my cousin. Oh, they're going to show up at my high school. Yeah, it happens. It always happens. I like the idea that Patricia Birch just sat in the background while they were making the first Grease, just shaking her head and thinking, I can do such a much better job. And then she did Grease too, and just, <laughs> this is my vision. This is what it should have been from the beginning. Um, she must have made a pretty compelling story for that too, because the studio, like the budget for this was almost twice as much as the first Grease. You can tell. It- <laughs> Just the scope of this movie seems much uh, like they're not afraid to just keep going and showing you new places and doing stunts and all oh, the stunts. Oh man! Uh, quick question for M is uh, is Happy Gilmore like kind of one of those movies that's embedded into English pop culture like it is America? Because obviously one of the big appearances in the opening here is Christopher McDonald, Christopher McDonald, excuse me, who plays Goose McKenzie. He of course would go on to. 
at least for our pop culture, have the immortal performance of Shooter McGavin. I didn't know if that character is as celebrated uh, over on your side of the world as it is here. Um, I'm going to say no, personally, because I've never seen Happy Gilmore, mm-hmm. and it's not a movie that really is... It's not one of those... You know that like everyone says, "Oh, you sh- you need to see the Shawshank Redemption." Yeah, <laughs> that that it, it it's not that kind of cultural phenomenon of movies. Um, oh, here in America, so no, we don't we don't really talk about Happy Gilmore. It's like Happy Gilmore, the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> uh, it's certainly not the Shawshank Redemption, but it's like you know, I guess to put it into scope, uh, ESPN, the sports network here, will you know, regularly make reference to Christopher McDonald or have him on Uh as Shooter McGavin, you know, and he's anytime golf comes up pretty much with any one of our age bracket, it's mentioned. So seeing him here was very funny to me, knowing he would go on to play the bad guy. It's a 90 minute movie. Uh, There's literally thousands of movies you should see before it, but if it's ever on (laughs) TV or something, give it a go. There's some good laughs in it. Julio. Color uh, me shocked. Color me shocked that Adam Sandler movies are not big happenings in the UK. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, I'm a huge fan of The Wedding Singer. There you go. I'm a massive fan of The Wedding Singer. That one transcends. It's, It's the greatest thing that he's ever done. So... I mean, that might be controversial <laughs> if you're a huge Happy Gilmore fan. Uh, no, I, I was, my, uh, adore The Wedding Singer. Yeah, my brain immediately was like, is it? I mean, I I like Airheads a little bit more than that, but that's not really an Adam Sandler movie. Uh, but yes, it's this isn't about Adam Sandler, but I concur that The Wedding Singer is just phenomenal. But uh, Julio, Christopher McDonald, did you really immediately recognize him? Oh, yeah. Shooter McGavin. I didn't know he was in this movie. All I knew was Michelle Pfeiffer was in this movie. That's all I knew. So when he shows up in Alex, look, this is how pervasive it is in America. And I haven't seen Happy Gilmore and I know he's Shooter McGavin. That's <laughs> how, how much of a cultural impact it's had here. So yeah, I saw him and I was like, Shooter McGavin, that's awesome. And uh, I was afraid that it was going to be one of those things where like you recognize the actor, but then he kind of fades in the background. He doesn't really oh, get no. to do much. No, he sings, he dances. He's he's one of the guys. He's one of the he's the, the star of the reproduction musical number. He's yes. like moving around the room like Homer, like sperm trying to show how it works. Uh, <laughs> all right. So as M referenced with the dynamic is the same in the sense of we got the the T-Birds, the pink ladies. Uh, the school is not too different from how we left it. Frenchie's still there. Eugene's still there for some reason. I was trying to rack my brain of like, didn't Eugene graduate with the rest of them? But then it was, I remember the end of the movie when he throws the pie at the coach. The coach is impressed with his throwing arm. So he says, you know, come and try out for the team next year. So obviously he was, so he was still not a, a senior, a, an underclassman. Yeah. Okay. Um, Rex Manning is kind of the fish out of water here. The gender swap, as Julio already referenced, of he's the the surrogate Sandy, and uh, you know just kind of trying to find his place. The bad guys are the same, or at least the main bad guy, Crate of Face, uh, yeah. Dennis C. Stewart. In the original Greece, he was the leader of the Scorpions, and this he's the leader of the Cycle Lords. As um, <laughs> he is like Matthew McConaughey and Dazed and Confused, he can't give it up, man. He's just there to hang around with the younger kids and still, you know, get his ass kicked by younger dudes. Uh, I I geeked out when I saw him because it just meant that uh, there was, you know, the familiar bad guy. I needed that because I didn't want to, I guess in a way you could say that uh, Johnny and the T-Birds are kind of the antagonists in this movie for, you know, 
part of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. But I didn't really want them to be, you know, bad guys because I really liked them a lot. So I was glad that there was like an actual bad guy here that was just, I can hate Crater Face. I can't hate the T-Birds. Yeah. And I think it's good as well to have like an external antagonist, like someone who's not related to like the school situation, someone who's like an outsider. Because yeah, the the T-Birds are jerks a lot of the time. Um, and and I actually really love the fact that the, the the men in this movie, I think, are kind of, shall we say, purposefully idiotic <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, there's a lot of bravado with like Johnny and the rest of the T-Birds, but, you know, they're, they're kind of not all that. And uh, yeah, this, this, this biker gang is obviously very intimidating to them. And um, yeah, I think it makes sense to have that. So the the end game is clear for this, which is something that the first movie didn't really have. It's like, where are we going? Uh, and this, we know there's a talent show. And that's kind of where all the, we learn very early, that's where all the pieces are going to converge. So until then, it's kind of world building and obviously story building. Uh, one of the, I guess, frequent stomping grounds of the, the kids of Rydell High is the local bowling alley. So we get just an insane bowling song that's just a very poor... <laughs> Veiled metaphor for fucking. Everything in this movie is a veiled metaphor for fucking. Everything. <laughs> yes. Every song. There's one that's not. Apart from maybe the. <laughs> one when they're saying about you know oh we're going back to school again apart from that one everything else is about sex i mean there is a song that is literally about sex <laughs> literally everyone wants to score tonight everyone so that was going to be my question as a as a female viewer of this uh if mm-hmm. at all possible it seemed as though the people that made this watched the first grease and thought hmm, that wasn't misogynistic enough so <laughs> i'm curious your take on it i think there's a good balance of it because like I said, they do a a better job in this one of establishing the females are clearly smarter than the men, but it seems like the men are just pigs in this. So I was curious since we have a female (laughs) perspective, how, uh, how you interpret that or how you read that. Personally, I kind of read it that the T-birds themselves, I mean, none of them are really given a great deal of depth anyway. They're just kind of cardboard cut out, hey, we're really cool. Look at us. Like, we're the coolest guys in school. You know, that sort of thing. None of them actually do anything interesting or say anything interesting. Um, the most interesting one out of them is is Johnny. And even then, he is literally just that stand-in for Danny Zuko. And that's not really a negative thing because I think, you know, if we're talking about links to Greece, I think we kind of need that the audience wants something like that this you know ultra cool kind of guy but even then you know he's frightened of this biker gang so I really feel like when we're talking about representation and especially representation of women not that you have to make men dumb to make women intelligent because I think that's a really important (laughs) thing to kind of just outright say just because you make a man dumb it doesn't make a woman more intelligent um but I think they really made a conscious decision to make the female characters stand out a little bit more and by extension make Michael stand out a little bit more because he's he's more of a focus than the T-Birds. 
So you don't want the T-Birds, if they're going to be cool and they're going to be the coolest guys in school, you don't want them to also be intelligent because he's supposed to be intelligent. And as a guy, I would say that I related to the T-Birds in this movie more than I did in the original Grease. Uh, because you might remember... You, you just uh, want to get Alex. those Roy Orbison albums? Uh, well, yeah, that. And also, the the guys in the first movie... I mean, listeners remember my frustrations with uh, with these guys. Uh, Duty and Woody. Sonny. <laughs> Sonny. Uh, they were just dorks. Here, yes, these kids... Quotation mark kids. Uh, they're they're misogynist and they're like sex driven, sex obsessed. But that is how a lot of teenagers are. And so when oh, yeah. when, when you're in high school, uh, that occupies a lot of your mind. Just the idea of like, how do I get a girlfriend? How do I keep a girlfriend? How do I have sex with my girlfriend? So that is just what happens. You know, I it, it felt like a lot more uh, true to the high school experience. I'm not advocating for high school. Uh, high schoolers to have sex, but that is how it works. Like it is in your mind, and uh, in a way, I would say the the apparent misogyny is kind of like baked in in the concept of portraying a realistic high school experience with songs <laughs> thrown in the mix. There's the part where the teacher's like, "Grab your seat," and Shooter McGavin's like, "I got mine," and grabs some girl's tush. <laughs> it's just like, man, what a simple you know time, that, yeah. eh? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is it's like I. I do genuinely love this movie, but I, I can say it, it could possibly be a little bit problematic in parts. I acknowledge the problematic things that this movie does. But then I kind of think to myself, do you know what? I would have paid a hell of a lot more attention in biology class if we were singing a song like Reproduction. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, where does the pollen go? Oh, okay, that's where it goes. Now I know. <laughs> where does the pollen go? Reproduction. Reproduction. I don't think they even know what a pistol is. I got your pistol right here. Where does the ball in? Back here. What did you get here? I don't think there's a single song in the original Grease that is as uh, clever and sexual as that song, as a reproduction song. Am I wrong, Alex? You're the Grease expert. Reproduction was a fucking earworm. The entire rest of the movie, it was just that <laughs> chorus in my head over and over and over again. So that's. Obviously, anytime you're writing show tunes, that's the goal is to have someone tapping their feet and humming along. I can't say that was the same deal when I saw Grease for the first time. I don't know if Grease Lightning stuck with me as much, but I think the, the choreography is a, a bit up. But then again, like I said, Shooter McGavin's rooming around the room like he's sperm. So I don't know. <laughs> you don't get to see that anywhere I mean, else. That's the thing. It's an experience. This movie is an experience. You will never see another movie like this where you've got someone going around a classroom pretending to be sperm and pretending to infiltrate women's vaginas with their arms, <laughs> where they're like putting their arms together and pretending to be vaginas. So that, that sort of shit, it stays with you. And I think that's why I love this movie so much is that stuff like that literally has stayed with me since I was a kid and I first saw this movie. Um, because it probably wasn't entirely appropriate for me to watch this movie, but I mean, that's that's the first Grease, too. I remember watching that like as an adult. And I was like, I watched this when I was a little kid. It's just like <laughs> filled with double entendres. And this is a little more blatant, but I think it was just the style at the time, you know? Even, you know, like the song Cool Rider, which Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously, she sang her own um, stuff in this movie. And 
She's actually quite a good singer. And this is a soundtrack that I listen to a lot, pretty much constantly on in my house. So I know, uh, I know pretty much all of these songs, but one of the, I think, defining um, sexual awakening moments for pretty much anyone who's seen this movie, if you know you saw it as a teen, is probably the shot where Michelle Pfeiffer climbs up a ladder and then straddles it. <laughs> and, you know, I think literally every guy and girl in the world wanted to be that ladder at that point because... Michelle Pfeiffer. I'll be holding on tight to a cool rider, a cool rider. If he's cool enough, he can burn me through and through. Whoa, whoa, if it takes forever, man, I will. Speaking of cool rider, so that's that's kind of like where we are in the movie and i remember yeah so let me let me catch up to there real quick julio mm-hmm. so yeah it becomes evident right away get in fucking line rex manning wants michelle pfeiffer just like the rest of us uh but he <laughs> learns quickly that you know there's a culture there's a system there he needs to be a bad boy or even a t-bird you know to the only t-birds can go with pinks vice versa that type of thing so he needs to change his image and instead of like the first grease where they just truncate that into 30 seconds of Goodbye, Sandra D. Uh, he devises a system where he's going to start doing homework for cash for the T-Birds and presumably anybody else. Uh, so get some quick shots of him writing essays, taking cash handovers, that type of thing. As uh, he's going to become the cool writer. We get the song about fucking in science class. That's my next note. Uh, <laughs> and then. All right. And then we learn the scope of this talent show is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. All the while we have. Rex Manning here trying to win the attention of Stephanie. And this brings us to Cool Rider. Okay, so this is the the, the big turning point. Uh, I, I guess I might have been a little slow with this movie because it wasn't until this this moment where I realized, okay, we really are doing the... the we're going to take back what the first Grease did wrong, which was like forcing uh, Sandy to change completely for the sake of of uh, of John Travolta of Danny, and here we're going to like kind of this is a uh, reparations. We're going to do that to the guy. This this British guy Rex Manning. He's going to change for uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for uh, Stephanie. And I was like, good. This is it's karma. It's it's necessary for the world to be in balance. Uh, you know, when she starts singing about the cool writer and. She's singing about somebody who is not at all like Rex Manning is right now. Uh, I'm like, that's that's what we have to look forward to. Rex Manning is going to change. The The end of the movie is going to be him walking out, dressed in leather, and just struggling his stuff. Uh, so it was, it was surprising that actually that metamorphosis, they didn't make us wait until the end of the movie. It actually happens, I would say, halfway through it, which was a, a pleasant surprise. But it remains a mystery to everyone who's not the audience because he shows up at the bowling alley. Uh, it's like the, the, the fucking crate of faces there terrorizing <laughs> and they kind of just back away from the fight. But then uh, unbeknownst to everybody else, but to us, the cool writer Rex Manning comes piling through and throws everybody off and everyone's like, who's that guy? And <laughs> I, sorry, I, I was going to say, who's that guy like Hulk Hogan for some reason? That's just my immediate instinct. <laughs> who's that guy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, see if you when you say who's that guy, I just want to go. Where did he come from? It's <laughs> just like, like I say, constant soundtrack all the time in my house. <laughs> but they're all like wondering who, who, who is he? And there's a big commotion. I have an all caps in my notes right now. There's an hour left in this movie. 
Uh, <laughs> but do you want to know something really interesting? What's that? One of the things that I love about this movie so much is that, so obviously Rex Manning didn't do his stunts mm-hmm. as the cool rider. And when I was researching um, the episode that I did for Grease 2 just recently, uh, I found uh, an incredible link between this movie and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Hell yeah. Because the, um, <laughs> so a guy called Gary Davis so he was the stunt coordinator for Terminator 2, but he is the cool rider in Grease 2. So the same guy who is the cool rider, who does the cool motorcycle stunts in this movie, choreographed the stunts, you know, the, the really cool stunt in Terminator 2 Judgment Day where the bike basically jumps yeah. into the spillway. Mm-hmm. Same guy. That's awesome. Because uh, one of the things I was reading about Gary Davis in this an interview with him was that you're absolutely right. He was Rex Manning's stunt double, but for the uh, like daydream sequence of them, the cool rider, that was actually Michelle Pfeiffer on the bike, like straddling him yeah. while he did a wheelie. Yeah, that that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. She did that herself. Yeah, because I was watching that, I was like, it, it's too early for good CG that good, and then I was like, that <laughs> must have been her. So I had to look it up, and it was like, goddamn, props to you, Michelle. Uh, yeah, she was riding with him, and she whispered. Do the movie about the robot. Take it. It's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that was like nine years later. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, it took a while Terminator for Cameron to, to really... But <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he hadn't even done the Terminator at this point, but he was like, I want that Gary Davis <laughs> <Yes>. guy. <laughs> I heard he was the cool rider. <laughs> he will be mine. And Grease 2 is, we know Grease 2 is James Cameron's favorite movie, probably. So, <laughs> I mean, the way he writes women characters, probably. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I I wrote the quote down here because it made me laugh so hard. So like the cool writer takes off and everyone's just kind of there and it's kind of like a bomb went off. Everyone's kind of recovering and just like, oh, what do we do? And then uh, Johnny, uh, Adrian Zemed just goes, we bowl. And everyone goes back in the bowling alley. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I I thought it was cool that they actually stretched out this mystery for a little bit because I thought that it was just going to be that he was going to stop, take his helmet off, and then we move on with the with the rest of the story. But no, it actually becomes like a, a, a dual identity mystery for a while, uh, which is pretty cool. So yeah, Rex Manning's the badass now, but no one knows who he is. He's like Batman. And uh, our next sequence there is what we had made an allusion to a little bit earlier. Uh, I need to just read the sentence from the Wikipedia summation because it's just too perfect. Uh Meanwhile, T-Bird Lewis attempts to trick his sweetheart, Pink Lady Sharon, into losing her virginity to him by taking her to a fallout shelter and faking a nuclear attack. (laughs) As one does. And then parenthetically it it. says, let's do it for our country. (laughs) I mean, E for effort. Oh my God, let me out of here, Lewis! You crazy to dropping bombs out there! Yeah, let's do it for our country. The red, white, and the blue. It's Uncle Sam who's asking, so your mother will approve. Tomorrow I'll be fighting, and I'll win this war for you. Let's do it for our country. Our country wants us to. Let's be honest, most guys are shits, and they probably would do that, (laughs) present company excluded. But, yeah, it's, uh, like I say, this... There are problematic aspects <laughs> to this movie, and that's probably the most problematic one. Uh, but the whole, oh, yeah, we're all going to die, so let's have sex kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not a thing. But it's like Guys, you said, listening, she's it's smart. Not a thing. <laughs> she is smart, and that's what I really like. She 
So she hears like the nuclear alarms going off, like that the other T birds are uh, kind of ringing in the background. And her first instinct isn't to bang this guy, but it's to actually, you know, say, I'm going to become a nurse and I'm going to tend to the wounds of all of these soldiers who are going to fight. And I just, I actually really like that because I think this movie could have gone down the path of, oh yeah, let's just bang. It's like, it's like, okay, if, if a war was announced like tomorrow, everyone's not just going to go into a bomb shelter and have sex with each other. Like, well, maybe in America, actually. <laughs> not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe that's why I'm single. Well, no. <laughs> here in the United States, 50% would go into a nuclear shelter and 50% would not believe there's a war going on and just go out there. Dude, so. yeah, like, that's honestly kind of where my mind went watching this is like, uh, not necessarily this time frame, but like more like nom fucking Iraq war. I'm like, how many guys use that to get laid? Of like, <laughs> well, I'm going to serve the country now, so I gotta. Uh, <laughs> you may yeah. never see me again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I then, then, I would be flattered if a girl pretended there was a major nuclear catastrophe in the outside world <laughs> just to have a shot at me. But of course, you know. <laughs> It doesn't happen often, if at all. No. So that that it'd be charming if, it, if the if the shoes were reversed here, if the shoes were on the other foot. <laughs> if uh, Michelle be... Pfeiffer was was just faking this whole thing just so she could get together with the cool writer again, maybe he'll come by <laughs> if a nuclear bomb explodes. But he can't. I can't take my helmet off. What if they shoot me? <laughs> uh, so the clicks are falling apart at this point, which I kind of appreciate that that dynamic here too of. You know, there's issues with uh, because of the the cool rider. There's issues with the pinks, as you know, Stephanie's kind of separating herself from them. And then the, I mean, the T birds stand kind of strong, but obviously the cracks are starting to show. I feel like this one addresses them more as like actual people and the mentality of high schoolers and how fragile they are, as opposed to the first one where everyone's just like forty uh, and <laughs> hanging out at high school. I mean, you say that, but there's. One of one of my favorite favorite things about this movie is there's a really terrible song in this movie called Charades, which I really don't like at all. I hate Oof. that song. Uh, probably not the best thing to say right now that I hate that song. But anyway, I've, I've said no, no it now. No movie's perfect. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but if you uh, so as Rex Manning is you know singing along to this very somber song about charades and blah blah whatever whatever, um, there's a guy sitting next to him in like this high school cafeteria and i swear to god this guy is 45 <laughs> he's literally the oldest guy i've ever seen on screen in my life and he's like supposedly a high school student i like uh i like that the t-birds get more of a personality here though because yes uh speaking of the, the the song about the bomb shelter and all that like that that defined uh louis 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 and uh for the rest of the movie for me you know that like, it made him stand out in a way that nobody other than you know the other the other t-birds in the first movie uh didn't they didn't stand out to me you know you had kaniki you had john travolta and then you had the other guys uh here is like you have johnny who's the leader you have louis who's the guy that has that, that brought the girl to the bomb shelter you have shooter mcgavin who's shooter mcgavin and he's also like sperm in the in the sperm song and then you have the guy the little guy that's single and uh ends up hooking up with somebody's sister so who may be 11 we don't know <laughs> i mean she is considerably smaller than everyone else and and it's like well, well, okay, how old do we think paulette is 
And it's like, okay, so maybe Paul is supposed to be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Paul is supposed to be 45. But um, I mean, obviously, that's Lorna Luff. That's um, Judy Garland's daughter, Liza Minnelli's sister. So, you know, there's some oh, wow. actual caliber in this cast. In my mind, like these are supposed to be like 17, 18 year olds. Is that the age that most people graduate in America or is it younger? Uh, 18. 18 is t- yeah, typically okay. when you finish high school. I mean, no matter which way you slice it, a high schooler looks younger than anybody in Greece or Greece too. <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no going yeah, right. Actually, yeah, no, that, that is absolutely true. Like, there, there's there's at least 10 plus years on, on, on this cast. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so then you've got to ask, well, if Paulette's 18, then how old is her sister Dolores? She's, what, like 16? She could Maybe be 50? She could be 16, Alex. And if she's 16 and uh what's his name? Davy. Davy is uh 17 or 18. I mean, it's not that I mean, bad. even if she was 11, it was a much simpler time back then. <laughs> we didn't have to we didn't have to deal with cancel culture and shit like that. So, uh, <laughs> all they do is dance. Yeah. I mean, it, that, yeah, it's conceivable. Uh so I know we we've we've already mentioned the the worst song in the in the show, in the movie, I, I want to talk about the best song in the movie, at least in my humble opinion, and that is when the T-Birds finally get to shine, they get the spotlight, and what is this song called? Is it Prowling? Prowling. Okay. Yeah. Go and prowl and walk, talk like a T-Bird. This song is, it kind of vindicated because I was feeling a little guilty that I liked them so much. And I was like, but they're the bad guys. I'm supposed to be rooting for for Rex Manning. And these guys are just entertaining me a lot. And then they get this musical number. I was like, oh, no. The movie wants me to like them. There is no way that it gives them this musical number without me wanting to be on their side. And uh, they kill it. And, okay, did I read it correctly? So the entire time they were performing, they were rehearsing, right? That's it's not that it turns into a rehearsal at the end because at first it starts with them going like uh, Johnny makes it sound like they're gonna go I don't know I thought they're gonna go to a strip club or something <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they sing the song and then at the end of the song uh, well it's the song that they perform at the talent show you know and they, they, so they were never going to a strip club they just <laughs> the way that he dealt with being rejected by Michelle Pfeiffer was like let's go rehearse for the talent show and then they have this awesome yeah. song <laughs> that is adorable. <laughs> It is actually very adorable. And more men, I think, should be expressing themselves with a song and dance number <laughs> than doing other stuff <laughs> after they've been jilted by their lady love or, or gentleman love, whichever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love a good song and dance number. And, and in all honesty, I really feel like life would be made so much better if you could just burst into song at a random point in life. You know, say, for example, you've had a great day at work and you're walking home and all of a sudden you just burst into this really happy song about I've had a great day at work and you know these little animated birds come down and like land on your shoulder as you're having this amazing kind of song and dance number and then all of these people join in I mean how awesome would that be just generally in life I would love that I mean, it sounds exhausting just, I'm just putting it but, out there. but yes maybe <laughs> once in a while <laughs> I would be okay with that. That would literally be my life. My life would just be a huge musical. <laughs> so like every time I'm sad, it'd be like, you know, this really melancholy. <laughs> Mostly prowling every now and then you get uh you get charades. I mean, I would never I would never <laughs> go as low as charades, ever. 
I guess it has to be asked, Alex, when it comes to, to talent show winners, are you a prowling guy or are you a girl for all seasons guy? Uh, probably prowling because girl for all seasons was just the melody to beauty school dropout with new lyrics over it, basically. <laughs> But then the it has the advantage of it like has the improv section where yep. Michelle Pfeiffer goes unplugged <laughs> and sings something like she's singing and we think it's just to us the audience and then everyone just gives her a standing ovation. It's it's pretty wild. Uh, to catch us up here though, she doesn't know the identity of the cool writer, but uh, at school Michael begins to tutor her because of her slipping grades. Her mind is just so racked with the cool writer. Uh, I was glad to see this is clearly a movie Nicholas Wendig Rafen has seen before because there's a shot of the two of them in the diner in the corner booth that is framed almost exactly like one of the shots in Drive with Ryan Gosling <laughs> and uh, Carrie Mulligan. I know it's not necessarily exclusive to Patricia Birch, but it's immediately what I thought of and it made me laugh. Um, Carrie Mulligan, so, a big ketchup fan too, so it makes sense. Yes, there you go. And she doesn't know who he is. She wants to know. He almost reveals his identity, but the T-birds show up and he scrambles like a proverbial cockroach. But he says, <laughs> you know, I'll come meet you at the talent show. And and then she's just like, talent show? Like, she doesn't know what he's talking about, as though it hasn't been the central focus of the fucking movie. Uh, so... <laughs> The time comes, it is the talent show. The T-Birds take out their only competition, which was a trio of uh, nerdlingers that were going to sing a cover of the Cordette's Mr. Sandman. Oh, yeah. Oh, one of those guys as well, Matt Latanzi, uh, he became the husband of Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> well, there <What>? you go. <laughs> yeah. I always made boo about uh, Grease and Halloween coming out in the same year, so I felt like this was an homage to Halloween that they had this dedicated section of mr sandman <laughs> uh they were those kids were good i think that the kid in the middle i don't know if he's the one that married olivia Newton john but wasn't he also in that other number that uh the twins were rehearsing wasn't he brad yes yeah brad that's the guy that's matt latanzi so that guy was double dipping in the in the talent show <laughs> <laughs> he, he bought two tickets to the lottery oh yeah he did because he is brad yeah that was a uh, uh, not to get a little too much into real talk, but that was the the first and only time that Rex Manning made me laugh in this movie was when he said that somebody came up to him and he's like, "What's going on?" and he just turned and he goes, "Brad," <laughs> and he keeps playing the piano. Uh, the talent show comes all seasons. It's just beauty school dropout. Michelle is troubled. Okay, she so thinks, she thinks that uh, the cool writer is dead. Yeah, because he got chased off to Dead Man's Curve. And, like, <laughs> I love I love this so much in old movies. Like, now it's something that's definitely played for, like, sarcasm and laughs. And it's, like, a, a go-to for, like, parody movies. But watching old movies, I love when there's, like, road signs, like, stop. And then there's one, like, crudely made sign that's supposed to be, you know, like, <laughs> domestic to the area. And it's this, like crude paint it reminded me of the crystal lake sign it says like dead man's curve and it's got a skull and crossbones on it it's just so fucking great um but the t-birds chase him off 
Is it the T-Birds or the Cycle Clones or no, Cycle the T-Birds, Warriors? The T-Birds. Okay. Johnny has like a moment of uh, guilt after he thinks that he's killed him. And then he gets over it. Yes. Yeah, so they drive him off to Dead Man's Curve and he's not down there. That's what they say. And <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer's like, I know he's dead. But, you know, the show must go on. She's got to get back and get in costume, goddammit. So uh, <laughs> she goes back. We see a the talent show. A young man may be dead somewhere, but, you know, let's not notify the police. Let's just go to the talent show. <laughs> no, you got to get no, your priorities well, straight. Well, exactly. And also, like, what is, like, the health and safety? Like, what, what government agency has is, is, um, designated the area of, of, of Dead Man's Curve as, like, a health and safety issue? Here in the UK, like, if there's a, a road that, say, there's a problem on the road and you can't go down it because there's a sinkhole, for example, like, it's all cordoned off, like, miles before. You're, normally, you'll have, like, maybe a police officer there saying you can't go down this road. You'll have maybe, if it's really big, uh, you'll have, like, a fence up. Or So, basically, here in the UK, we take health and safety very seriously. We never hear have like a sign well we dead man's curve doesn't exist here for a start (laughs) but also you would not be able to like drive right up to the end of like a cliff (laughs) here in the uk like it just would never happen so for me the fact that this is like a trope in like hollywood cinema like going back like decades where you always have a quote-unquote dead man's curve and someone always is able to drive off it and you know it's like are they dead who knows (laughs) It always makes me laugh because that genuinely would never happen. There'd be so much bureaucracy and red tape. <laughs> Literally only in America does Dead Man's Curve exist. Well, this is but... why the Fast and the Furious franchise doesn't take place in England because you guys are way exactly. too civilized and Can way too safety-minded to, to let that kind of Can stuff happen. Can you imagine, like, you know, uh, Vin Diesel driving down the M1 with a, uh, a safe attached to the back of his <laughs> Ford Fiesta? <laughs> Uh, talent show's gone on. It's like, you know, I, I, this kind of bleeds into real talk, but there was so much wet, hot American summer in my mind watching this. Cause it really, the talent show in that movie really, I, I'm not saying it fashioned itself off of this, but it was parodic of things like this. So I found myself amused probably when I wasn't supposed to be, but the final big dance number comes, as we mentioned, Michelle Pfeiffer can't remember the word. She goes off into her own little world here. And Stephanie sees the, uh, it's appropriate. Terminator two already came up cause he fucking looks like, uh, Robert Patrick at the end of that when he's all covered in dust and shit. Uh, <laughs> and he's like frozen and the way he's moving. Uh, it's like fucking Rex Manning could have been the T 1000. Why not? And, uh, <laughs> They do like a back and forth number where they sing and then she comes back to reality, gets a standing ovation. She wins the talent show Queen. Um, and then it's uh, Johnny, right, wins talent show King. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of back to square one with these two uh, do they, pegged with do each they, other. How do they share? Because, you know, she was singing with an ensemble and he was singing with three T-Birds. So they each get, if the, the prize was 100 records... And then each gets 50, but then Johnny has to split his 50 with the other three guys. So that's like each of them gets, you know, I don't know, 14. And that's uh, that's teaching them before they get in the workforce how taxes work pretty much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then she has even more people because she had, you know, 
people behind the scenes. Some I think there were a couple of teavers that were helping in the background with the, the costume changes and everything. So I think at the end of the night, Michelle Pfeiffer goes home with like maybe five LPs. Surely it's only the performers who get the records. Oh, so only if you sing, you're the only person that gets the... So, yeah, so it's just like there's 12 of them, isn't there? Because like there's three girls per season. Okay, that's so... still a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, actually, maybe Michelle, maybe Stephanie... I can't, I can't do maths on the sport, so well, I don't know how many she gets. 12 times it's, 5 it's, it's would an, be 60, and she gets 50, so it's not even... Not even five. She gets 12 times four, 48. What? So she gets four. She gets four, and then there's going to be some leftovers that people are going to fight over. Um, this was not there's... very lucrative, I think, for the amount of work they put on that. But, you know, they did it for the art. So in the end, it was not about the price. It was about the performance. There's some good shit that came out in 1961. Blue Hawaii by Elvis. You had uh, your twist party with the king of twist, Chubby <laughs> Checker. Uh, the soul of Ike and Tina Turner. Uh, showcase with Patsy Klein. It's always interesting because, you know, like if you think of um, cinematic universes, shall we say, and then you say, well, does so-and-so exist in that universe? And in this movie, like, you know that Marilyn Monroe exists in the universe of Greece too because Paulette has right. basically based her look right. on mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. So you know Monroe exists. And then you're like, well, okay, if Monroe exists, then surely Elvis exists and the Beatles. But then it's like, but do they? Because you just don't know. Like <laughs> They don't reference them at all. <laughs> Roy Orbison well, is the biggest thing. But it's, it's an interesting question though, isn't it? Like what records? Like do, do they end up with like some really weird like in-universe <laughs> standard <laughs> um, you know, artist records. The I, yes, the Oneidas. Uh Talent Show concludes. We get our closing at a luau, because fucking why not? And hey, uh, a little bit of cultural appropriation never hurt anyone. That's right. Speaking of Elvis and Blue Hawaii, I'm trying to remember that movie he made around this time <laughs> that was like, whoa, brother. Take it back a notch. Uh this is all like school sponsored, right? This is a raging party that goes all day. Because they started the, the the musical number starts during the day and then it closes at night and this is all right. It's like in the God of Vida, just keeps fucking going and going and going. And- <laughs> Yeah, as Wikipedia puts it, the school year ends with a luau. Rock and roll hula lua. Summer is coming. During which the cycle lords appear and begin to disrupt the celebration. And they're just like fucking driving around in circles. Like the first gang that Batman attacks in Batman <laughs> Mask of the Phantasm. Where they're just like, woo! Like circling them. The cool They've been partying for so long that they can't think of to call the cops. Police don't exist in this universe, clearly. There are no police. Well, oh, there actually, is. No, there are. Yeah. They, they're, no, there are police, but maybe they just don't have telephones. <laughs> actually, no, they do. I don't know why they don't call the police. Anyway, carry on. They're too drunk. <laughs> well, and then, like, the cycle lords are just coked out of their brains. Like Dennis C. Stewart guy just looked like in between every take was just taking key bumps. And so... Uh, they show up but the cool writer appears to save the day he defeats the cycle lords again because he's smart enough to see there's a pool coming so he might need to increase his (laughs) speed 
to jump it. The other ones just look like bitches, man. They just like, like they fall in the pool. It's the old and trick. The old uh, make them ride into the pool trick. But he reveals himself to be Michael here, and that's where everyone, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer does the like looks at him like what? Uh, initially shocked, Johnny gives him a T Birds jacket, officially welcoming him into the gang. And Stephanie is delighted that she can now be with him. Michael and Stephanie <laughs> share a passionate kiss and whisper, and he whispers that he loves her. All couples pair off happily. To be fair, I think that she had decided she was going to be with him, whether the T-Birds gave permission or not. I would certainly yeah. hope so. And at this yeah. point... I it, think so. Yeah, it's... It was kind of like a heel turn for him, because the T-Birds established themselves to just be fucking dicks. And, like, I was hoping he, like... Drop the jacket and like spit on it or something. Uh, but no, he's just he's a cool kid now. No, uh, but, I, uh, I, I'm not gonna lie. This was I, I fist pumped more about the fact that he got a jacket versus him and, and Michelle Pfeiffer finally getting together because that was kind of a given. But uh, the T Birds kind of getting over their resentment and feelings of inferiority compared to this guy and just to have Johnny hand him the jacket. I didn't see that coming. So it really made me feel good. I'm like, there's hope. We yeah. can all be friends. <laughs> we can. It's like getting, because sometimes you don't need like validation or acknowledgement from your peers. Like sometimes you just don't. But similarly, it is nice to get it. Right. And I yeah, think it doesn't it, hurt. Just a nice <laughs> gesture. Even if he had said, I don't want your fucking jacket, piss off. Um, <laughs> You know, the, just the gesture, I think, from someone like Johnny, who's obviously thinks he's like the greatest guy in the world. So in his mind, he's like the best person for Stephanie. But to to have him willingly give that up, give give up the chance to like be with someone like Stephanie and to kind of say to this guy, look, we accept you, we welcome you, you're cool in our eyes. I mean, that's that's just a really nice gesture. All that was missing was uh, Johnny going like, make her happy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you treat her right, okay? Then he like lights yes. a cigarette for him. <laughs> or I'm coming for you. Uh, we we skipped past that, but that was an impressive part from uh, Adrian Zamed in the movie where he does the gimmick where like he flips a cigarette into his mouth using his tongue. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he could have like just that should have been the payoff to it. He flips it out of his mouth at the end of it and then hands it over to Rex Manning. Like, here you go, man. Uh, it's like I've been storing this in my mouth the whole movie. And I've just been right. waiting. The whole semester. All the couples pair off happily as the graduating class sings, we'll be together. The credits start rolling in a yearbook-style fashion as in the original film. You know what's uh, what's better than one freeze frame, Alex? One billion freeze frames. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Grease 2. And then we watch the movie again. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Is that a feature on the steelbook? You just it just automatically starts playing the movie again. Uh, yeah, that that's basically what I've set it to do now. It's actually on right now. It's just been constantly on ever since I bought it. <laughs> you just don't know what you're gonna walk into whenever you you walk past your TV. Uh, it's like I'm watching it for the first time every single time. <laughs> well, that was Grease too. Um, 
a lot of fun was had and a lot of fun will be had because we were about to talk about the movie seriously. It's going to be a real talk. Uh, we can tell already. I can tell that M loves it even more than I thought. Um, and <laughs> Alex hasn't been a good poker player. I can tell that he doesn't care much for this movie. So where do I fall? We're, we're about to find out. Uh, come back for part two. Real talk. <laughs> 